We've been teaching for the last seven weeks here on Sunday morning a series that we've entitled Healing Belongs to Us. We want to finish that uh, series this morning. So I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 10. We have endeavored to approach this subject from the standpoint of the will of God concerning your healing. We have looked at it from several different angles and there's a lot of ways you can come at this subject because the Bible gives us more than ample uh, information to know that healing was part of the finished work of Jesus. Just as surely as Jesus took your sins, bore your sins on the cross, just as surely he bore your sicknesses. Just as surely as he shed his precious blood, sinless blood, for the remission of sins so that you can be born again, he shed the same blood to bear, to carry away sickness and disease. I want to start with Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul's writing by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, or as I like to say it sometimes, the Holy Ghost said through the Apostle Paul, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the good news of Jesus. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, or the Gentiles. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now we know what the good news is. The good news is, and that's what gospel means, it's, uh, the word gospel is defined as good news. The good news of, of Jesus Christ is that the work has been finished, that somebody paid the price for us. If there's still a price to be paid, that's not good news. If somebody still has to die for sins, to pay the price for sins, if you still have to die for your own sins, there's no good news in that. But the good news is that Jesus paid the price. It's paid once and for all. So whatever Jesus bore on himself, on the cross, has already been accomplished. I think a lot of people make a mistake by looking for healing to come. The Bible says healing's already been accomplished. See, Jesus doesn't have to do one more thing for you and I to receive our healing. He's already done it. Now, even those that in the church world that say that healing is not for everybody or that you never know what is, whether it's the will of God to heal you, even they have to admit that the word that the Holy Ghost used, and he didn't have to use this word. There were other words that could have been more specific. But the word that he used for salvation, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it's the power of God unto salvation. In other words, the power of God for whatever salvation is, is released through the good news, hearing the good news, recognizing the good news, coming to understand the good news that Jesus has already paid the price. But the word salvation, there are two words in the Greek language that are used throughout the New Testament for saved or salvation. And they mean virtually the same thing. I I guess the difference between using one word as opposed to using the other is a matter of grammar. But the word is an all-inclusive term that means to rescue, to deliver, to make safe, to make sound, and to make whole, or to heal. So Paul is saying that the gospel, the good news of Jesus that we received by the word of God, we could even say the, the word of God that tells us what Jesus paid for, is the power of God to rescue. It's the power of God to deliver. It's the power of God to make safe or sound. And it's the power of God to heal. The word is the power of God to heal. Now notice what it does not say. It does not say God will send healing power from heaven. So that you can be healed. No the healing power from heaven has already been given to us. And that power according to what the Holy Ghost inspired John to, uh, Paul to write. Is the word of God itself. Now. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 10. Let's look at another verse of scripture here regarding this concept. Romans chapter 10, notice the ninth and the 10th verses. Again, Paul is writing and says, that is, well, let's back up to verse 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Paul said that he preached the word of Christ or the word of faith. The gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul preached is called the word of faith. The Holy Spirit inspired him to call it the word of faith. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Anytime the word of God is preached in any specific situation or in any particular area, there's faith 
made available for you to receive it. What good would it do for us to know that Jesus paid the price for our sins or for our sicknesses, but not have any access to that provision, not have any way to take hold of and receive for ourselves what he did? It's not like God had Jesus pay the price and then taunts us with it. Too bad for you, you can't have it, even though Jesus paid for it. Now, the purpose for God telling us about what Jesus paid for is so that we could walk in it. Paul called that the word of faith. Notice how it works. Verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Notice the word saved in verse 9 and the word salvation in verse 10. Those are the two words that are used throughout the New Testament. One is the word sozo and the other is the word soteria. In the Greek language, that's translated saved. Clearly, they mean the same thing. Clearly, Paul is talking about the same thing, the same principle. He uses these words interchangeably. Interchangeably. He interchanges these words to let us know that Jesus paid the price. Now, notice what it says. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised from the dead, raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Here's that all-inclusive term. If you believe, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Savior and that God's raised him from the dead, you shall be rescued. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you shall be delivered. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be made safe. If you confess with your mouth and believe that the God has raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be made sound. And if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be healed. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, rescue, Deliverance, safety, soundness, and healing. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. With the mouth, confession is made unto healing. With the mouth, confession is made unto your deliverance. Now, there are several times, several places in this uh, that these words are used regarding healing. In Mark chapter 5 and verse 34... Mark chapter 5 is the story where the woman with the issue of blood comes behind Jesus and presses through the crowd to get to, his, get to where he is, reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. The Bible says power went out into her. Now in verse 34, it brought an effect of healing and a cure in her body. This issue of blood for, she's had for 8 years or 12 years was done away with. Jesus said in Mark chapter 5 and verse 34, The daughter of thy faith has made thee whole. That word made whole is the same word for salvation. Well, clearly it's talking about her being healed. So here's a proof that this word does not just mean remission or forgiveness of sins. It means healing. It's part of the package. And Luke chapter 18 Jesus speaking to a blind man that calls out for his mercy says in verse 42, receive your sight. Your faith has saved thee. The word saved there is the word sozo. It's the all-inclusive term. Clearly in this case, it was talking about healing for the physical body. The salvation that Jesus provided for us includes healing for the physical body. Now look with me over to 1 Timothy chapter 1 or chapter 2 rather. Beginning in verse 1, Paul is writing to Timothy and and encourages him by the Holy Ghost to pray for leaders, leaders of nations, those that are in authority. But look at verse 4. It tells us something about God. It says, who will have all men to be saved? Here's this word, sozo. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. So what I want you to see is this. Just as we saw in Romans chapter 10 talking about a principle that works for everybody. Whosoever believes in his heart and says with his mouth, 
shall enter into salvation. All of the aspects of salvation. We understand that Romans 10, 9, and 10 is a principle that works for anybody and everybody, right? Now, the only reason it could work for anybody and everybody is if it's the will of God for everybody to take part of it or take hold of it. Otherwise, it wouldn't work for everybody. But you won't find anywhere in any church, any Christian group, that argues against or preaches against God's will to save everyone, meaning to forgive their sins. There's no resistance to that whatsoever because nobody preaches against it. But the same word that's used for saved in those verses is used for healed in other verses. So look at what it says here in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. Talking about God, it says, who will have all men to be saved? Here's this word, sozo, and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That means it's the will of God for everybody to be rescued. That means it's the will of God for everybody to be delivered. That means it's the will of God for everybody to be made safe. That means it's the will of God for everybody to be made sound. That means it's the will of God for everybody to be healed. Folks, you've got to twist the Bible to come up with a different doctrine. But don't worry, there are plenty of people that have done that for you and are willing to help you in the same area of unbelief as they are in. God will have all men to be saved, rescued, delivered. Made safe, made sound, and made whole. So here's the third proof that we have. Let's look at a fourth one. James chapter 5. Verse 14, it says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith, verse 15, And the prayer of faith, this word prayer doesn't mean asking God for something. It means the declaration of faith, the vow of faith. See, you don't have to ask God for something Jesus has already done. I'll even go so far as to say this, and I know some people will misunderstand and some people will be offended by this, but you don't even have to pray to be healed. Jesus has already done it. If you think about it, you don't even pray to be born again in the strictest sense of the word. It's your belief based on the word of God that you heard and your confession, based on the truth of God's word as, as to the principle of how to receive. That's what brings you into salvation. That's what brings you into the born-again experience. Your heart belief and your confession. Well, in the same way, the prayer of faith or the vow of faith, the declaration of faith, declaration of belief in what Jesus has already accomplished. And folks, I can't overemphasize this. In the mind of God, it's already done. Jesus doesn't have to do one more thing. He doesn't have to suffer one more moment for you to take hold of anything he's already accomplished. It's already done. And the declaration of faith or the vow of faith, or here what's this is called in chapter 5 of James, verse 15, the prayer of faith, the declaration that Jesus has already paid the price is merely reaching out and taking hold of what he's already done. Notice it says the prayer, the vow, the declaration of faith shall save. Here's this word sozo. Shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. Well, clearly he's talking about healing. But in the same measure, the same manner, the declaration of faith will rescue you. The declaration of faith shall deliver you. The declaration of faith shall make you safe. The declaration of faith shall make you sound. The declaration of faith, as verse 15 specifically identifies here, understanding the context is for the sick. The vow or declaration of faith shall heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And notice verse 16, it says, and if, everybody say if. And if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. See, the devil wants to tell you that you haven't lived a righteous enough life, a holy enough life, to be worthy of anything that God has for your physical body. But notice it's the same declaration, the same vow, the same prayer of faith, so to speak, that forgives sin as heals disease. Doesn't say that if he prays a special prayer, a second prayer, then they'll be forgiven. It's the same work. 
Because Jesus paid the same price with his own precious blood on the cross. He paid the same price. Now I want you to look with me over to something. We've, uh, we touched on it when we were here earlier in this series. But I want to emphasize it a little bit more. In Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 5, it tells us the story of the centurion, a Roman centurion. Now that means he's a Gentile, he's not a Jew, he does not have a covenant with God. He has no blessings through Abraham because he's not an heir or of the lineage, descendants of the Jews. And it says, and when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. But speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goes. And to this, to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Now, folks, what does that communicate to you? Jesus marvels at this guy's faith. What's he marveling at? Is he marveling that somebody has faith? Or is he marveling that the faith is coming from somebody that's outside the lineage of Abraham? See, to me, this says that Jesus is identifying that he finally found the faith that he was looking for when he came to the earth. But surprisingly, it didn't come from the Jews. It didn't come from an Israelite. It came from somebody outside the covenant relationship that God had through Abraham for his descendants and his heirs. I believe with all my heart that this was the faith that Jesus was looking for from people who understood the example of faith that Abraham set. See, we don't have any indication whatsoever that this centurion knew about Abraham, cared about Abraham, understood of his example of faith. Certainly Abraham was not the father of his faith because he's not a descendant of of Abraham. And Jesus is marveling not because somebody had faith. He's marveling because the one that had faith came from outside the ones who were the heirs of the covenant promise of Abraham. I believe that he was looking for this kind of faith from everybody no matter where he went. And that begs the question, why didn't Jews... In Jesus' day, have this kind of faith. They should have. They should have had it. They should have had the same understanding of authority and the authority of God's word that the centurion revealed and showed that he had. The Jews should have been operating this way all along because not only was there's a different situation than the centurion's, They've got examples after example after example throughout their history of people that made the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. All those are Jews. Most of them are. There's a couple sprinkled in that aren't. But most of those people that made the list of the hall of fame concerning faith were Jews. This is the kind of faith that Jesus was looking for from his people. And he still is. Speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. For I understand how authority works, he says. I say to this one, go, and he does it. I say to this one, come, and he comes. I say to this one, do something, and he does what I tell him to do. He understood the power of words. He understood that words were to give commands. And those commands would be carried out. And so Jesus marvels. Again, in my thinking, it's he's marveling not at the faith that the guy had. But the fact that the guy that had this faith was outside the covenant promise of Abraham. He marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. He's talking about the Jews there. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go your way, and as thou hast believed... So be it done unto thee, as you have believed. I want you to understand that Jesus is identifying that this guy has already released his faith. 
He's not waiting to release his faith. He's not waiting for healing to come. He's already believed something. There's a past tense action to his belief. Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Now notice what Jesus says. Jesus is identifying that faith is not going to be limited just to the children of Israel. But many shall come from the east and the west. He's talking about the Gentile nations. And shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Now Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are examples of those who've operated in this kind of faith in the Jews' history. Speak the word only. And the promise will come to pass. Now turn with me over to Luke chapter 4. I want you to see what Luke's account of Jesus' first time to minister after he was baptized by John in the Jordan River in his own hometown of Nazareth. This is where he grew up. He's among people that knew him all of his life. Well, if they knew him all of his life, they knew he was a good guy. If they knew him all of his life, they knew that he didn't get into the mischief that the other little boys in town got into. That he handled himself and conducted himself in a righteous manner. He had to because he was without sin. So there's no possibility for them to know anything about Jesus other than he's a godly person. He lives a godly lifestyle. So Jesus appears in Nazareth, goes to his own hometown of Nazareth. We'll start in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Jesus was in the habit of going to church. You got a lot of people nowadays that say, well, I'm, I follow Jesus. I'm not part of any group. Well, Jesus is. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to follow him to church. Thank you for your enthusiasm. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. I want you to notice he specifically identified these verses so that he could preach from them. He's got a specific message he wants to deliver. So he finds Isaiah 61. What we know of is Isaiah 61. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. What's the good news to the poor? You don't have to stay poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. This word brokenhearted does not mean emotionally damaged or something like that. It means broken in spirit. He means to heal those that are the result of a breach in spirit. He's talking about Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. That opened the door to sickness and disease. To heal the brokenhearted. To preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now the acceptable year of the Lord is the year of Jubilee. Where everything is restored back to its original condition. That means restoration of the body as well. Verse 20. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. In other words, that's King James English for saying Jesus said, this is talking about me. Now they understood that those were verses that referred to the Messiah. Jesus is identifying these verses are about me. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And notice the word gracious. The word gracious means disposed to show favors. Jesus is telling them, and the Bible is identifying for us, that Jesus is telling them that he's anointed to do these things to bring help to them. He's anointed to deliver. He's anointed to heal. To benefit them. That's why they're gracious words. Jesus did not come into the synagogue and say, you backslidden buzzards. He's there telling them, I'm here to help you. I'm here to deliver you. I'm here to heal you. I'm here to make right the things that are wrong as a result of sin and its consequences. They wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth and they said, is not this Joseph's son? In other words, they're saying, how can the Messiah be Joseph's son? And he said unto them, you will surely say unto me, this proverb, 
Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Now, what Jesus is saying is very simply this. He says, I know where you're coming from. I know what you're looking for. You're looking for me to prove that these verses are true by doing miracles. The same kind of miracles you've heard that I've done in other cities. Capernaum specifically. You want me to do the same work here that I did there. But Jesus knows he's not going to be able to do that. The Bible says in Mark's chapter 6. Mark's account of this. And he could there do no mighty work. Save he lays his hand upon a few sickly folks. few folks with minor ailments and healed them. That means he didn't have any blind eyes open in Nazareth. Now it doesn't say he wouldn't. It says he couldn't. Now I know that blows a lot of people's idea about Jesus here on the earth. Their thinking is if Jesus is the son of God. Which he was. Then he was able to do anything he wanted to at any point in time. Well that's not what the Bible says. It says in Nazareth. He could there do no mighty work. Again it doesn't say that he wouldn't. It says that he couldn't. He was prevented from doing any mighty work. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Their unbelief hindered him. Matthew 13, 58 says virtually the same thing. It says he was not able to do any mighty work because of their unbelief. So unbelief hindered the Jesus, the son of God, when he was here on the earth. But notice what Jesus explains about this. He's trying to get them to see something. So he says, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Verse 25, but I tell you a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elijah sent, save or except unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon. That's not a Jewish territory. A Gentile city called Sarepta, unto a woman that was a widow. What is he saying? He's saying that manifestations of the Spirit, you remember the story, I guess. Maybe we need to go over it a little bit real quickly. Elijah declares that it won't rain again until he says so. God sends him to a certain place by the brook of water. And the ravens come and feed him twice a day. Bringing bread and flesh twice a day. But then when the water dries up in the brook, the Lord tells him to go to another place. The city of Sidon called Sarepta. He said that a widow woman will sustain you throughout the famine in that city. So Elijah goes to the city. He finds a certain woman that's gathering two sticks. She's got enough meal and oil to make one little cake of food for her and her son to, to divide between them. And then their plan after that is to die. Now she needs a big enough fire to cook one cake. And two sticks is a big enough fire. But Elijah tells her to make, him, make something for him first. And the barrel of meal shall not come to an end, or the cruise of oil shall not fail. And so every day, they had enough to make one more meal. Then when they went for the next meal, there was still enough left. Well, that has to be a manifestation of the Holy Ghost, doesn't it? It's working of miracles. So when Jesus uses this example, he says the working of miracles didn't work for the Jews. It worked for a Gentile. Now, why is it that God would leave his own people out of this working of miracles? And why does Jesus identify it? That has to have some connection to what's going on in Nazareth when he's there to preach. Well, what's the connection? The connection is very simply this. The people are looking for Jesus to perform a miracle on his own without any faith being exercised on their part whatsoever. And Jesus is very simply saying, Working of miracles doesn't work like that for people that are supposed to know the word and act on it. And folks, that's the same thing today. You'll have working of miracles, gifts of healings, manifestations of the Spirit of God that will work many more often times for the unsaved or the unlearned. Sometimes baby Christians. Sometimes Christians from churches that don't know what the Bible says about it. But very seldom does it work for believers. Because we're not supposed to get from God through manifestations of the Spirit. We're supposed to obtain what Jesus has purchased for us by faith in his word. Speak the word only. 
The same kind of faith that Abraham had. The same kind of faith that Isaac had. The same kind of faith that Jacob had. The same kind of faith that the centurion had. Jesus uses another example. Verse 27, he said, And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. Do you remember the story of Naaman the Syrian? He's a captain in the Syrian army. Through their conquest, he's got a little Jewish slave girl in his house. He contracts leprosy. He does everything that he can to get rid of it to no, with no success. But then this little servant girl comes to him, her master, and says, there's a prophet in Israel that can take care of this for you. So Naaman makes plans to go to, to where Elisha is, brings his entourage down there, all the people that are traveling with him in his caravan. Word comes to Elisha from the, his servant Gehazi that Naaman the Syrian, the captain of the Syrian army, has come down. And Elisha doesn't even come outside. He tells Gehazi, go tell him to dip seven times in the Jordan River and he'll come again clean. Well, he's greatly offended. This great man, very important man, captain of the armies, commander of the armies of Syria. He's offended. And the people that are with him have to talk him into giving it a try. Not a great deal of faith being exercised on his part. But he does do what Elisha said to do, and that's all that was necessary. He didn't understand it. He doesn't seem to have any faith in it. But he does it, and he comes again, and his flesh is made clean. The leprosy is cleansed from his body. Now, what is Jesus saying? It has to have reference to what's going on in Nazareth, or else Jesus wouldn't have used the example. What's he saying? He's saying there were a lot of lepers in Israel, and none of them were healed by manifestations of the Spirit. But Naaman, who was a Gentile, outside of the covenant blessing of Abraham, then it worked for him. Now, it didn't work for anybody else. But it did work in that one case. Now what's Jesus trying to get across to us? He's trying to get across this very simple truth. Everybody that was involved in the famine in the days of Elijah. Had the opportunity to have their needs met. To be provided for throughout that famine. By faith in the word of God. Faith in the covenant blessing that God had made. Sure to Abraham and his descendants. And there were many lepers in Israel who had the same opportunity for healing that Naaman received, only in a different way. They could have claimed and believed God for the blessing of healing that was certainly a part of what God told Israel. I'll bless your bread and water and take sickness away from the midst of you. Well, that would have to belong to a leper too if he was a Jew, wouldn't it? In other words, Jesus is saying this to the people in Nazareth. You're looking for God to manifest himself, to prove something to you. And that's not how you get it to work. You get it to work by accepting the truth of the word. Brother Hagin used to tell about surveys that were done in a certain town that he went to minister in the year before or sometime before. I think it was about a year before. Oral Roberts had been to that area and held a healing campaign. Marvelous testimonies of healing. Brother Hagin said he knew somebody in that town that was stone deaf and her ears popped open instantly. He said she, could, she was so deaf she couldn't hear, hear thunder outside. But Brother Orr laid hands on her and she was instantly healed. He said there were other people that were in that meeting that he knew of that were healed as well. But the pastors that cooperated with the meeting, one of them was the guy that Brother Hagin preached for, Pentecostal guy, pastor of a full gospel church. And he told Brother Hagin that after the, the um, Oral Roberts crusade was over, Oral's ministry had given them copies or given them the cards, some form of reference, some, form of, some record, I should say, of all the people that had come through the healing line. Now, they had information on all these people, and there were thousands of them that had come through this, uh, this meeting and given their contact information. He said, we followed up about a year after the crusade was over. We sent out a little card that already was postage paid. And it asked two questions. One was, 
Did you receive your healing during the oral robbers crusade? And if so, are you still healed? Well, the pastor told Brother Hagen that 6,000 of those cards had been returned. Something like that. And they said they found out, they, they already knew these cards were numbered. And so they already knew who, who was answering, who was responding. And they found that of the people that were either unsaved or in denominational churches that hadn't heard about healing being part of the work of Jesus, 80% of those responded that they were healed and 80% of the ones that had been healed were still healed. But from Pentecostals, those that identified themselves as full gospel believers, spirit-filled, those that are supposed to know and believe in healing, only 10% of the ones that responded said they were healed and only 10% of those had remained healed. Now, on the face, it looks like God's doing better for those who don't know than those that do. But the reality is very simply this, folks. God has made healing available to you, and the power to heal is through the word of God. God wants every one of us to have the same faith or greater faith than the centurion had when he said, speak the word only and my servant will be healed. That should be a common occurrence. That should be an easy thing for us. Now, some would say, well, that's not fair. God's not fair to his own people. Well, sure, it's fair. You expect more out of your 14-year-old than you would a 4-year-old, don't you? God expects more of you because you've heard more of the truth. God expects you to stand on the word of God and receive what Jesus has done. He expects that to be a way of life. The just shall live by faith. It doesn't say the just shall live by manifestations of the Holy Ghost. It says the just shall live by faith. They shall live by faith. Now, how do you test faith? How do you prove faith? Time. Time is the test of the proof of faith. I could stand here and tell you story after story after story, ones that I heard personally and things that I've seen where people receive their healing through the laying on of hands based on faith in his word. And the result, well, I'll just tell you one story. There was a lady that had a a tumor on her face. It was a purplish eggplant looking thing. And the doctors wouldn't operate on it. They wouldn't do anything to operate on it. They said it was malignant and cancerous. And if they tried to dig it out, then it was just going to make things worse. It'd get into the bloodstream and take her life even quicker than it was progressing. And so she came up to be healed. Brother Hagen laid hands on her in the healing line. Cursed that thing, commanded it to wither and dry up from the roots. Told Satan to take his hands off of her. And when he opened his eyes, that thing's right there still on her face, staring him right in the face. So he told the woman, he said, I want you to do something. She said, well, what is it? He said, I want you to look at your watch and see what time it is. She did. 20 minutes till 10 o'clock. He said, I want you as many times as you think of it and make sure you do think about it. I want you to begin to say, At 20 minutes till 10 o'clock, on Monday, whatever the date was, I received healing from the tumor on my face. Will you do that? As many times a day as you think of it. If you think of it a thousand times a day, say it a thousand times a day. She says, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Well, the 10th day of confessing that she believed that she received her healing at 20 minutes till 10 o'clock on that Monday prior, She's mopping the bathroom floor and this thing falls off on the floor and it's got deep roots, tentacle looking things. So she said she looked up. She was surprised. She told her testimony later on. She looked up into the mirror and there was a hole in her face where this thing had come out. But while she's looking at herself in the mirror, this thing fills out and there's brand new skin that covers the place and there's no trace of it whatsoever. Well, she put it in a jar of alcohol and brought it to the meeting. That's gross, isn't it? (laughs) Now, here's the question. When was she healed? 
She was healed when Jesus paid the price on the cross. When did she receive her healing? At 20 minutes till 10 o'clock on that Monday. It showed up 10 days later. But her confession was not that she's going to be healed. Her confession was, I received healing for the growth on my face 10 days earlier. Speak the word only and I shall be healed. Speak the word only. Brother Hagin also told a story of a woman with a daughter, a nine-year-old daughter who had polio. This was back in 1951 or 52 before the polio vaccine had been discovered by Jonas Salk. And this, uh, this little girl had braces on her legs, encased, both legs encased in braces. One of the legs had continued to grow at a normal pace, and so it was normal size for this nine-year-old girl. But the other leg, five years earlier when she had contracted polio, had stopped growing. So she's got one leg that's normal size and one leg leg that's kind of shriveled up, looks like a twig, encased in these braces. And Brother Hagin said that when she came in the healing line, he just took this daughter and sat her in his lap. There was a chair there on the platform. He sat down and put the little girl in his lap. And he just put his hands on her legs, on her knees. And he prayed and he said to the mother as well as the congregation, everybody heard it, the healing power of God is going into her legs. I'm just going to sit here and hold my hands on her legs for a few moments. So he did. Well, after a few moments were over, then he gave her back to the mother. And he said, if it helps you any, I'll tell you that I had a stronger anointing to pray for this little girl, your daughter, than anybody else in this healing line. He had also gotten the crowd to to help him by asking them. He said, what if this was your daughter? Brother Hagin said, I've got a little girl about this age. What What if this was your daughter? Could have been. He asked them to stretch their hands out in faith and compassion for this this mother and her child. And they did. So anyway, he delivered the little girl back to her mother. Mother took her home, put her to bed for the night. Woke up the next morning, had prepared a bath for for her daughter. The only time they ever took those braces off was when they put them in the bathtub to bathe her and clean her up. So she said, I took these braces off, set her in the bath water, or was preparing to set her in the bath water. And apparently this, this uh, leg that was withered, when you took the braces off, somehow the leg came out to the side. The only thing that held it straight was the, the braces. And so the leg goes out to the side. Then she took the brace, the separate brace for her ankle, took that off, and the, and the foot turned under like a club foot would. So if she had been able to walk, she'd be walking on her ankle the way that it, disease had affected her. So she said, I held that leg down, put her in the bathwater. And she said, the mother's giving the testimony now. And she said, I began to cry. I cried and so much that the tears were rolling down my face and falling into the bathwater. She said, I asked God, why didn't you heal my daughter? Why didn't you bring healing to her? And she said, on the inside of her, she's spirit filled. On the inside of her, the Lord spoke and said, do you not believe Brother Hagin's a man of God? Do you believe he stood there in front of the congregation and lied when he said that the healing power, the anointing had gone into your daughter's legs? She said, I dried my tears, stiffened myself up a little bit. She said, oh, Lord, forgive me for my unbelief. I do believe Brother Hagin's a man of God, and I do believe he told the truth. Now, this is the next morning. She said, all of a sudden, she opened her eyes because she heard a sound in front of her that sounded like twigs breaking. She said, I looked at my daughter's leg and all of a sudden that foot turned out right. She said it was, she couldn't tell anything about the the leg coming out to the side because she's in the bathwater. But she said, I watched that withered leg grow out to be normal size, same size as the other one. Now the same question has to be asked. When was she healed? When Jesus paid the price on the cross. When did her healing come? The night before when she expressed faith. To have hands laid on her. But then the next morning she had to get back into faith. And then the healing power of God did the work. Folks in the mind of God you have already been healed. 
It simply takes faith to exercise that. Now, I'm here to tell you something. It doesn't take a long time to receive from God. It doesn't. It doesn't take a long time to make contact with God. That doesn't mean everything's going to be instant. And it doesn't mean that we're not going to have to stand in faith. But it shouldn't take forever for things to work. Now, you may be thinking, what about you? You've been standing for your faith, been standing in faith for your healing for some time. Why is it taking you a long time? Folks, I don't have an answer for that. But I do know certain things that the Lord has quickened in my heart. And I've got to tell you, I'll, I'll just, I'm going to be brutally frank with you. I'm going to share some things with you for a few moments this morning because the Lord told me to. If it was up to me, I wouldn't say a word. But he told me to, and I don't know why this is necessary, but I'm just going to obey what he said. Something has happened to me over the last several months. There are things, well, I hate, uh, I hesitate to say it this way, but I don't have a better way to say it. So I'm just going to have to trust you to hear what I'm saying. John Alexander Dowie in 1875 was a pastor of a congregational church in Sydney, Australia. And there was an outbreak of the bubonic plague. And 40 of his church members had already died. There were five more waiting to be buried. And numerous others in his church that were sick. There was nothing they could do for them. It was pretty much a sure thing. Almost a guarantee that anybody that had this plague was going to die from it. So Mr. Dowie was sitting in his office. Put his face in his hands and started crying out to God. He said, Lord, is is my whole congregation going to die? Is everybody going to be killed by this thing? And he said, all of a sudden, something flashed in his heart. Acts, 30, Acts 10.38 flashed in his spirit. Now, Acts 10.38 says this. See, he's questioning, are you behind this? What's going on and why? Acts 10.38 says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. He said, as quick as you can snap your fingers. He said, I saw that the devil is the one making everybody sick. He's the one behind this plague. And Jesus is the healer. He said there were a number of other scriptures that came to him that the Holy Ghost brought to his remembrance to confirm it. But from that point forward, nobody else died in his church. And the ones that had been afflicted with the disease were healed of it. And it started, launched, if you will, a ministry that affected three continents. Another person, one of the people that was uh, affected by his ministry in Zion, Illinois, was a man by the name of John G. Lake. Now, Lake's testimony was not something where he had conquered sickness and disease in his own body, but his family was ravaged by it. He said there were nine of them, brothers and sisters, and four of them had died young. And there were several others that were afflicted with incurable conditions. And he saw through simple faith in the word of God in some cases, people laying hands on them and ministering to them. But he said he saw sickness and disease removed from his family. And that was instrumental in launching the ministry that he had that affected millions of people on two different continents. Even Brother Hagin, had he not learned how to believe God, Mark eleven twenty three and 24, to receive healing from his deformed heart and blood disease and the different things that were wrong with his body at the age of 17, he wouldn't have had the ministry that he had that affected millions of people around the world through mostly through tapes and books and materials. There's something about an experience that's different. And for that reason, I'm going to say it this way, and here's what I hesitate to say because I, I know some people are going to misunderstand this. But for the last 30 years, there are some ways that I feel like I've been teaching healing theory. Now, don't misunderstand me. We've had hundreds of people healed. It's a regular thing for people to write in and say that they've been healed by listening to the messages of the word, the teaching of the word, either through the TV or the podcast or website or whatever. It's a regular occurrence. It's not an everyday thing, but it's almost an every week thing. 
So don't misunderstand me. I'm not changing the message. The message doesn't need to be changed. The message works. But there are things that are happening in me where I'm a whole lot different than I was when this thing started. Now, I know people split hairs over words and get themselves all twisted and tied up. They say, well, then, did did God bring this? And the answer is no, the devil is the oppressor. Well, then they'll ask, well, did God use this? Well, that depends on our response, not him. It's how we respond to an affliction. It's how we respond to a test that determines whether or not it's to our benefit or to our detriment. The Bible says the trying of your faith is more precious than gold. You don't find too many people claiming that verse. Because nobody wants to go through the trials. Nobody wants to be tested. But the Bible says that the trying of faith, Peter said, writing to the church, that the trying of your faith is more precious than gold. Here's what that means. That means if you're believing for money, the test of faith for the money to come is more important than the money is. For me, believing for my healing has been more important than the healing that will soon appear. I can say without reservation, without hesitation, that the greatest honor of my life has been and is to believe for the removal of every symptom, every trace of every symptom of this disease that four doctors have told me is incurable. And that through simple faith in his word. Now you can see the shaking and the tremor. That's the annoying part. That's the embarrassing part. But there's a lot more that's been going on that you can't see. One of the things I had to deal with at first about this was my breathing. When this thing first came on me, it became very difficult for me to preach or to minister because I had to focus on my breathing. It's hard to talk when you're focusing on your breathing. Try it. Take deep breaths and let them out in a focused and controlled manner and then try to say your name. It's tough to do. Another part of this has been affected my thinking. And I don't mean thinking in the terms of attitude. I mean it became difficult for me to gather my thoughts. I wouldn't exactly call it confusion. But have you ever tried to run in waist deep water? It's tough to do. You're doing all the right stuff, doing it all the right way, but you're not getting anywhere. And it became very difficult for me to organize my thoughts to preach or to minister. I was tempted to go to notes, but I refused to do it. I felt like I was giving in if I did. The third part of this, and it has to do with the breathing too, is that the devil's tried to take my voice from this. This is the part that you'll find that those that are in public life, that are diagnosed with Parkinson's, have to retire from that public life because singers can't get the air to sing. Speakers can't get the air to speak. And so they all retire from public life. Glory! See, a year ago, I couldn't do that. I'll say it again. The greatest honor of my life has been and is to believe God for the removal, the defeat of every trace of every symptom. By faith in the word of God. Now this is my thinking. I can't tell you that the Lord has told me this. But here's what I think. I think this has something to do with the healing work of God in our church. That's what I think. It witnesses with my heart. It has something to do. Because for me... The whole thing has been the devil trying to steal my voice. I don't just mean my breath. I don't just mean my, the sound that I can make. 
I mean the voice of preaching healing. We're preaching healing in one of the largest, one of the top two, and it goes back and forth between the New York area and Los Angeles. Sometimes they're the biggest TV audience. Sometimes we're the biggest TV audience. But we're preaching healing in a very public manner to one of the top two TV audiences viewing areas in the country. The devil doesn't want that to happen. Now, folks, as far as I'm concerned, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. But let me tell you a change that, that occurred in me several months ago. This thing is, uh, the first symptoms of this thing came on me about four and a half years ago. The first six months was just the shaking, the tremors, the annoying part, the visible part. But after that, it began to progress in some of the other things that I just referred to. Now, during these last five years, four and a half years, I spent the first three and a half confessing what the Bible says, that Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses, and with his stripes I was healed. And I would confess regularly that I believe I received my healing. And I did that immediately. I didn't waste any time. I claimed healing for the thing right off as soon as the first symptom appeared in my body. So it's been about four and a half years ago. But over the last year, I realized something. I realized I wasn't talking to my body. I was talking to God about my body. Now look with me over to Mark chapter 11, verse 23, and I want you to see something. Now, I knew better than this, should have known better than this. I wasn't doing something consciously, but I slipped into the same thing that so many other people do. Notice what Jesus said in defining faith. Verse 23 of Mark chapter 11. He said, for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Notice who Jesus said to talk to. He said, talk to the mountain. I didn't do that. Of course, my mountain was my body. I didn't start off talking to the mountain. I talked to God about the mountain. And that's not what Jesus said to talk to. Jesus said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, not say to God about the mountain. See, it's real easy to say, oh, God, I need you to do something about this. But Jesus said the faith of God, the faith, the God kind of faith is when you speak to the mountain. And things began changing in me when I began to talk to my body. I'm embarrassed to tell you that it took me so long to come to that understanding. I have no doubt that you can find sermons that I preached during those first three and a half years where I was saying to speak to the mountain. But I wasn't doing it. See, folks, it's not enough to know what the Bible says. It's acting on what the Bible says to do that brings results. And that's when I started getting results. And those results will continue. They'll keep on and on and on until every trace of every symptom is gone. Don't clap for me. Clap for the word. It's the word that's true. And it works for anybody. It will work for everybody. But I'm not going to be healed by a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. I don't need a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. I already know enough of what the Bible says to be a doer of the word. And so do you. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Rescue. Deliver. Make safe, make sound, and to heal. With the mouth, confession is made. It is the greatest honor of my life to defeat every trace of every symptom by faith in his word. I'm not defeating the sickness. Jesus already did that. He broke the power of sickness and disease. But do you remember the Old Testament instruction to the children of Israel about the promised land? God told Moses, who told the people, Every place the sole of your foot shall tread shall be yours. Now, let me interpret that for you. Here's what that means. That means you can have whatever you're willing to take. 
The Bible says Christ has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. That means it's yours for the taking if you will take it. But whether or not you take it is your choice, not God's. He said the whole promised land is yours. Healing is available for every one of his people, every one of his children. But it's up to you to take it. And you take it by the words of your mouth. You take it by speaking. From your mouth. What you believe is yours. It's not enough just to know that God wants you to be healed. You've got to be willing to take hold of it. And you take hold of it through your tongue. And things will change. I'm not judging my success by the measure or the level of symptoms that are left in my body. I'm healed because Jesus paid the price for it. And if Jesus told the truth, then we'll have what we say. If he told the truth, we'll have what we say. No matter what sickness or disease there is, no matter how long it's gone or how far it's progressed, healing belongs to you. Take hold, it, take hold of it with the words of your mouth. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father, what a privilege it is to stand in faith. What a privilege it is to believe you, believe your word. We honor you, Father, by believing what you said is true. We thank you that you honor us by bringing it to pass. What an honor it is, Father, to be able to be at rest in the middle of affliction, to count it all joy, no matter what the test of the trial. For we accept the truth of your word, that the trial of our faith is more precious than gold. What an honor to believe your word and to see it come to pass. What an honor. If you need healing in your body, I want you to stand up on your feet. I want to lead you in a confession. So I want you to say this, but don't say it just because I'm saying it. Let your heart agree with it. Close your eyes and raise one hand toward heaven as a witness that you're saying this before heaven, earth, and hell. Say this after me. I believe the word of God that tells me that Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. And with his stripes, I was healed. If I was healed when Jesus went to the cross, then I am healed now. In Jesus' name, I speak to my body. I command it to be healed. I command it to line up with God's word. I command sickness and disease to leave me. In Jesus' name. I declare that my body is healed. My body is made whole. I call my body well in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that healing is mine. That the good news of Jesus is the power unto healing for me in my body and in my life. I call my body well in Jesus' name. Amen. I lift your hands and thank God because that's true. Oh, Father, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your healing power that's at work in us now. Because your word is working in us. To affect a healing and a cure from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. For every one of us. In Jesus name. In Jesus name. In Jesus name. Hallelujah. 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 Lord it's so good to be healed. It's so good to be healed. Healing is accomplished. Healing is finished. Healing is done. And we take it by faith. We take it by faith. 
We take it by faith. In Jesus' name. F.B. Meyer was a pretty famous Baptist preacher from years gone by. And he said this. He said, if the whole world lined up on one side and said, I'm not saved, I'd line up on the other side and say I was. Well, I feel that way about healing. If the whole world lined up over here and said, you're not well because of what's going on in your body, I'd line up over here and say, I am, according to the word of God. See, you're going to have to take sides with the word if you're going to get results. And you've got to command your body to take sides with the word too. And that's what brings the victory. Let's lift our hands and thank him one more time. Thank you, Lord. So good to be healed. Thank you. The healing is done in the name of Jesus. 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 Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, I want to encourage you in something. It's 20 minutes after 11. On Sunday, May the 14th. From this point forward, whatever symptoms are in your body, whatever things you see, whatever things you feel in your body, this needs to be your confession. I received my healing Sunday morning, May the 14th at 1120. And don't say anything to the contrary. You keep that switch of faith turned on and no matter what it is, your healing will come. It'll show up in your body. Because you meaning your body is governed by your words. Amen? Amen. Say it with me. Thank God I'm healed. Thank God my body is well. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us. We love you. We look forward to hearing some good healing testimonies. Amen? Amen.